Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. Today we're going to start chapter 7 of Pat Shaughnessy's Ruby Under a Microscope. We're going to be talking about the hash table in Ruby. So we're going to look at how we save and retrieve values in a hash table, hash collisions, and also rehashing. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. So how did you find this week's reading? Not bad, not bad. I think it's always quite easy going when you start a chapter so there's often a lot of introduction <laughs> and it's yeah. often you know building building up from basics so I am interested in you know what this chapter has to offer but yeah I found it very interesting and I think once again Pat did a good job of using diagrams to help his explanations. So would you say you are cautiously optimistic about chapter seven? Yeah definitely cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, I was super excited oh. about chapter seven because hash tables are something that I just never really knew what they were. And I've heard a lot about them and I know they're important. And I, I feel like I hear about them all the time when we talk about just computer science in general, not even Ruby. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll finally be able to understand it. But in the first couple of sentences, when I talked about IVPTR and I saw some more C code heavy sections, which I feel like it's been a while since these, since we've really seen those sections, I started to get a little bit nervous and I was like, okay, I hope this, I hope this still makes sense and I hope Pat still does the really good building block thing and the breaking down thing. But, um, but it really worked for me. I was really excited to be able to keep up with this section and to really learn and finally understand what the hell a hash table is. So I enjoyed it. Great. So shall we crack on with the reading? Yeah, let's do it. So to start chapter seven, Pat takes us back to experiment 5-1. How long does it take to save a new instance variable? And he reminds us that this is when we saw that in Ruby 1.9 and 2.0, we had the IVPTR part of the R object structure, and this pointed to a simple array of instance valuable variables. And it was that chart where generally adding a new value was very quick, but every third or fourth one, it took a longer time. And so Pat says that that is that technique for storing things by allocating a larger array is unusual in Ruby. And normally something called a hash table is used. And with a hash table, you don't need to worry about this time lag for uh, making it larger to accommodate more values because hash tables automatically expand when needed. And so there's a bit that says the client of a hash table doesn't need to worry about how much space is available or about allocating more memory for it. And it turns out that these hash tables are being used all the time. So every time we create a method or a constant, Ruby inserts a new value in a hash table. And we, we looked at this thing called special variables back in experiment 3-2 and I had to flick back to remember what they were. But this is special metadata about a program that's stored. So like the error code or things like that. And that's stored using hash tables as well. Also things like instance variables, for generic objects like integers or symbols, these are all stored in hash tables. And so this is why Pat says, these are the workhorse of Ruby internals. So now we're gonna find out a bit more about how they're used. And so going on to the hash tables in Ruby section, we learned that hash tables are a very common concept in computer science, and it's all about organizing values into something called bins. And this is, the bin is something that's an integer value that's calculated from 
each value. And that's where the word hash comes from. So the hash is the integer value that's calculated from a value that you want to store. And so what we learn is that when you want to find a value in a hash table, you recalculate its hash value. And this is how you find things quickly. So looking at figure 7-1, going from left to right, on the left, we have something called an R hash structure. And so this is short for Ruby hash. And inside there is a table pointer, a table is spelt TBL. And this points to a structure called ST underscore table. And inside there are four rows. One says type, one says num underscore bins, one says num underscore entries, and then the last one says bins. And then we have a pointer from bins that points to, I guess, what do we call it? A string of information or a string of entries. And this goes up from zero to 10. So we've got zero, one, two, three, four, all the way up to 10. And so these are the empty bins. And this, by the way, is what happens in Ruby 1.8 and 1.9, because we're gonna see later that there's an optimization that happens in Ruby 2.0. And so then we step through a simple example of how a hash works. So say we want to add a new key value to a hash that's called my underscore hash. What we do is we'd write my underscore hash and then in square brackets, symbol key, and we'd set that to the string value. So when we run that code, when we execute that line of code, Ruby is creating a new structure called an st underscore table underscore entry, and that's saved into the hash table for my hash. So now we can look at figure seven two. And the difference here is that, so we've got the R hash structure from seven one, the ST underscore table structure, and also the bins. But this time pointing down from the bin label two, we see the ST table entry structure. And inside that we have symbol key leads to the string value. And so Pat asks, why is it coming from the number two? And so what happens is, is there's an internal hash function which takes the argument of the key. So there's something like sum underscore value equals internal hash function with the argument key. And then what happens is we take what the sum value is and we do a modulus against 11 because there are 11 bins and that equals two. And so that's why that particular uh, value is going to be stored in the number two bin. And so that's like the simplest example of how a hash works. And can I just can I just say that at this moment, I appreciated Pat so much because right under that example, he has a note that says, I assume that the actual hash value for key divided by 11 leaves a remainder of two. Later in this chapter, I'll explore in more detail the hash function that Ruby actually uses. And that was mm. such perfect timing because my immediate reaction <laughs> to that example was, wait a minute, is it always two? How does know it's two this time? What made it two? Like I was, I was very focused on the number two and how we got there, and the fact that we didn't really talk about how we got there. And I just love the fact that Pat saw that that might be a point of confusion, that might be a question that's brought up, and just addressed it immediately, set it aside, and now we can move on. So it's funny you should say that because I knew that it wasn't always two, but I appreciated that note and also thought of you when I read it. I thought, oh, someone will love this. Like, okay, don't need to worry about it now. Understand high level. We're going to come back to it later and you're going to explain. Mm -hmm. It's just a typical question of, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, exactly. I love that you pointed that out. And the next bit I love too, because Pat gives a further example, just to reiterate the point. 
So he says, we're now going to add a second element to the hash. We're going to say my hash and we're going to pass in the square brackets and we're going to pass inside of that symbol key two. And we're going to set it to the string value two. And he says this time in his imaginary example, when you call the internal hash function on key two and then do the mod modulus 11 of that, you get five. And so then there's figure seven dash three, which shows now everything as before, as in seven dash two with the entry we created before under bin two. But now there's an extra thing under bin five, which says, so it's another ST table entry, but this time it says symbol key two leads to value two. Yep. So now we talk about how we actually retrieve a value from a hash table. Cause that was kind of, when I looked at this, at these figures, I was thinking, how in the world is this supposed to be easier than an array? Because the whole thing is speed, right? We're doing this because of speed. And so I was like, how, do, how would you get anything from this? And also, how and why is it faster? So here, uh, we take an example again. So here we have print my underscore hash, and then the symbol key. And we return a string called value. And so here, we talk about how if Ruby had saved all these keys and values in an array or a linked list, which is the first example that we talked about when we opened up this chapter, then it would have to go through every single element in that array or list and find key. So it's kind of playing a matching game with every single one. But with this new hash table, Ruby can jump straight to the right key by just recalculating the hash value. Because now we have an equation, we have an actual formula that we can use. So we can take that key, put it right back in that internal hash function, get that sum value back, and then redivides that value by the number of bins to get the remainder, and then that's where we look to find that value. And as soon as I read that, I thought, oh my God, that's so smart. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So what we want to know now is, okay, this all sounds well and good, and it sounds like it's faster, but how fast is it actually? And, uh, and how fast is it when we talk about huge amounts of elements, like a million elements? So we have experiment 7-1, which is called retrieving a value from hashes of varying sizes. And here, Pat walks us through a bunch of code that he wrote that uh, allows us to see how fast things are. And I won't go through the code, but if we look at the result of that, we see in figure 7-4 the time to retrieve 10,000 values versus hash size for Ruby 2.0. And so in this graph, we see that... It reaches up to, I think the highest one looks like 1.2 milliseconds. Mm -hmm. And it's, they're all kind of roughly the same mm -hmm. amount of time. Like the, the range looks like it's like from 0.9 to 1.2. So they're pretty consistent. Um, and then we see, you know, some variation amongst the group. So we see here that this is pretty fast, but Pat also notes that what's really interesting is the fact that it's pretty flat. Like even though the hash size is different, even though we're going through so many elements, it's still roughly the same time no matter what, which is very good. So the, the next question that Pat asks is, so we've got 11 bins, but there are millions of ST table entries. How does Ruby search this quickly? Because even if the values are distributed evenly, that's still a lot of values. And so what Pat says is that Ruby must be adding more bins to the hash table as we add more and more elements. So he says, suppose he kept on adding more. So he's got an example that says my hash key three equals value three, my hash key four equals value four, and so on. He says, 
that Ruby continues to add more ST table entries and adds them to different bins. So now we get onto the concept of hash collisions because he says that eventually two or more elements are going to be saved into the same bin. And this is what a hash collision is. So no longer can Ruby uniquely identify and retrieve a key based on the hash function because, for example, you might have more than one thing that's returning five or two. So how do you know which one you want? And so in figure 7-5, Pat shows us what's ha what happens when you have multiple entries in one bin. And so just to give you an example, looking at bin zero, we have a pointer to an entry, which is an ST table entry structure and then that points to another entry and that points to another entry and so on. So what this means is we have linked lists within each bin. So this means that Ruby is still able to stay quick but we need to make sure that the number of entries in a single bin doesn't get too big. And in terms of how we find the one that we're looking for, the entry that we're looking for once we get to a particular bin, for things like integers and symbols, which are typically what are used for hash keys, we just do a simple numerical comparison. So does five equal equal five, I guess. And then if it's something more complex, then we use the equal question mark, that's EQL question mark method to check if they're the same. And obviously that returns true if the two values are equal. So that's uh, all well and good. And so far, so good, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nothing too, nothing too crazy. Although I gotta admit, when I first saw Figure Seven Five and saw how very complicated our bin system got, I thought, uh "Oh, this is the part where it gets really scary and computer sciencey and very confusing." But not too bad. Yay. Pretty straightforward so far. So next, we talk about rehashing entries because one of the problems that we talked about in the array system when we weren't using hash tables and we were just going through an array is the fact that Ruby determines that array size ahead of time. And then when we have to expand it, that can be very expensive. So what does Ruby do now when it has a bin size that starts at 11? Because eventually we're going to run out and if we have you know, a million different elements to, to save. So here, it talks about how Ruby measures the density or average number of entries per bin. And I was like, oh, mm. it's like physics in Ruby. And <laughs> I saw it more statistics, but fair. Oh, okay, fair. That that's, makes a lot more sense. <laughs> um, and so Pat says that when that density exceeds the number five, which is a constant value in Ruby's C source code, that's when Ruby knows that it needs to allocate more bins, and then it rehashes or redistributes the existing entries across the new bin set. And so here we have an example, 7-6, uh, where we see that the bins have been expanded from 11 to 19. And that made me wonder, is that the standard jump? I think we had this mm. question about the array size as well. Mm -hmm. Is it always go from 11 to 19 or was it just this one example? So I was wondering about that. But it's okay. If I, if I don't have that answer, it's okay. I can still move on. Wow. Um, the progress. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm growing. <laughs> and so uh, this cleared up a lot of things for me because... 
at the top of page 175 when we talk about how Ruby still needs to iterate over the linked list within a specific bin and needs to do that matching, it made me think, wait a minute, isn't that the expensive thing that we said we were trying to avoid with the whole array size? You know, that doesn't that doesn't sound very efficient and fast. But the key here is that bin density. The key here is we're never going through more than a few items in a linked list because when it starts to get too long and too big and uh, too expensive, Ruby says, okay, it's time to rehash, time to redistribute so that it can keep being fast and efficient. So now we have another experiment, experiment 7-2, and this is called inserting one new element into hashes of varying sizes. And so Pat says, if we want to test that this rehashing thing is really working, let's see what happens as we save a new element into existing hashes that have different sizes. That's basically a repeat of the title of the experiment. So what we're going to do is, so we have example 7-3, which explains what happens. And I'm not going to go over the code, but I'll just explain what the code does. So we create 101 different hash sizes from 0 to 100. And we create 10,000 of these hashes. So we've got 10,000 hashes that are of size 0, 10,000 that are of size 1. And then what we're going to do is we're going to insert a single value into all 10,000 hashes and then measure how long that takes. So Mm -hmm. we're going to insert one value into all of the 10,000 hashes that are of size 0, or all of the 10,000 hashes that are of size 1, and then we measure how long that takes. So looking at the data, we see that around it takes around 7 milliseconds to insert the first element into an empty hash to do that 10,000 times. And then we see that it steadily increases until we get to a hash size of 67. And then it takes around 26 milliseconds to do that. And when we're looking at the 64th, 65th or 66th element in a hash, that takes around 11 to 12 milliseconds. So it's jumped to over twice the time going from the 66th to the 67th key value pair. And then when we, after we insert the 67th element and we go to insert the 68th element, so that's in a hash that's of size 67 already, then we go back to around 10 to 11 milliseconds. So what is happening when we get to uh, a hash of size 66, so i.e. we are now adding the 67th key value pair, that is when Ruby is reallocating the bin array from 11 to 19 bins because I'm guessing the the density has gotten, it's hit that five number. And so therefore we need to reassign the ST table entry structures. Yes. And then we have another graph for Ruby 2-0. And this time the threshold is different. In fact, there are three different spikes. We see instead of the 67th insert, there is a spike on the 57th element, and there's also a spike on the 97th element. And we also, so that's when reallocation is happening in Ruby 2-0. But there are also smaller spikes on the first element. So for example, um, inserting the first element takes around four milliseconds, and then the second, third, fourth, fifth takes around one to two milliseconds. And then Mm -hmm. the seventh insert, there's also a spike. And so Pat says, we're going to look at this later when we look at hash optimization in Ruby 2-0, but there is something else that Ruby 2-0 is doing that speeds up hash access even more for the small hashes when we're talking about fewer than seven elements. So I'm really interested to see what that was, and maybe we'll see why at seven is this happening, because it's quite a small hash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, so that's it for this week. And next week, I am looking forward to see how Ruby implements hash functions, which is the title of the next section. So what was your score for this week? I don't know. You know, I enjoyed it going through you, but it wasn't as exciting as previous chapters for me. I think I'm going to give it, I think I'm going to give it, I think seven's a bit hard. I think I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. Yeah, I think it was a was good it, reading. It was solid. I don't, I don't know. Were you already familiar with hash tables no. and stuff before? No. I don't know why. I think maybe because with the, I'm, I'm thinking about it relatively to chapter six. And I think maybe with chapter mm-hmm. six where I was giving more nines was because I think I felt more excited because it was, I'm writing methods and yeah, I, yeah. like it really relates to things that I'm doing. And maybe mm-hmm. with the hash tables, I think it's really cool because it's behind the scenes, but it's more behind the scenes. And so maybe that's why, right. I, that's why I was cautiously optimistic at the beginning. I think by the end of this chapter, I'm going to know like about oh, the whole, a whole new world of Ruby. That's very key. But I guess now I'm like, good intro, solid intro. I'm excited to learn more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think that makes sense. Um, I'm going to give it... I think I'm going to give it an eight. Ooh, yeah, I'm going to give it an me, eight. Even though you seem to be yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it an eight because I I was really, I think my excitement is more relief, <laughs> to be honest, because I was kind of like, uh-oh, I hope I can understand this. And I was like, oh my God, I can understand it. So um, it was more reflection of that. And I thought it was really well explained. Uh, I enjoyed it. But yeah, I agree with you. I wasn't as like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Here's the thing that I, you know, do all the time, right? I've done before, and now it's gonna make sense on a, you know, on a deeper level. It's kind of like, okay, cool. This is really, this is a really good to know, interesting to know type of reading. Fantastic. So we want to know what did you think of the reading this week. Tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio.